Um, it's great to be with you. Uh, not only now here, it's just great to be here um, amongst the Jubilee family. And Rob said to me a few weeks ago, would you share and would you share something about what the journey has meant to you? And I'm going to do that and weave it into what I want to share with you this morning. So we're not in the uh, Kingdom Living series of Matthew 5, 6 and 7. And we're kind of taking a break from that. And I want to talk this morning uh, under the heading of Father Wants Your Home. Father wants your home. That's my heading. And it doesn't take um, a genius to realize that I'm going to take you into Luke chapter 15 and the story of the reckless son. Um, The son that just was so extravagant in what he did, whether it was was negative extravagance, but it's as much about God and his grace as, as it is about the son. So if you have your Bibles, the scriptures will come up on the screen. I'm going to read from Luke 15. Um, I'm reading from an ESV translation. And as you find that, let me just say that the last six months have for Tina and I been an incredible journey that started last August when we decided to take a month on sabbatical. We've never done this before. We decided to take a month out. We would read, soak, pray, and just spend time together and, and waiting on God. And this particular Prince of Parables, this gorgeous statement that Jesus brings here has, for me personally and also for us as a couple, been significant in the journey we've been on. And so I want to share some of the things that God has been sharing with me. Some of them have been, you know, very challenging and some of them have been so exciting. So Luke chapter 15, I'm reading from verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, that is Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now go down into verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property, of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he, was, and, he, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. 
Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let's eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now the older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fatted calf, the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when his son, but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Father, I pray this morning you'll just help us. Holy Spirit, you've already searched the deep things of the Father's heart and you know what you want to reveal to us this morning. Reveal that and no more, no less. Father, let the word sink deep into our heart. Let it be practically applied to our life that we might be relevant in this day and generation and see the kingdom of God come in all of its glory. For your name's sake, we ask it. Amen. Amen. If you've ever read this story, you, you begin to realize that there are two social groups. Um, in the opening verse of Luke 15, he talks about tax collectors and sinners. That's one social group. I think to the tax collectors and sinners, Jesus was kind of talking to them as the younger son, the rebels. They were the rebels. But then there was this other social group called the Pharisees and scribes. They weren't so much rebellious as religious. And I think to both of these groups, Jesus was telling this story to illustrate the goodness and the grace of God. And when you begin to go through this story, you find it's almost true to the, the phrase that says the best things comes in threes. Um, that's not true of children because we have four of them. Uh, but they say the best things comes in threes. Well, there are three stories in this 15th chapter of Luke. That is the story of the lost sheep. There is the story of the lost coin. And there is a story of the lost sons. And it's all about lostness, being lost. And then you have the story of the three sons. There are three sons in this chapter. That is the younger son. That is the older son. And then there is the son of God. So you've got three stories, three sons. But what I want to bring to you this morning is three locations. Remember it this way, location, location. Location, location. Yeah, I see I've got some people who like the same programs. So you've got three locations. You've got the far country, you've got the home, and you've got the field. The far country, the home, and the field. Let me just spend a bit of time here in the far country. 
You read the story of this father who had two sons and the younger son wishes his dad was dead and asks for the inheritance that would have come to him after his father died. And he asks for it there and then. And his father kindly gave him the inheritance. And the younger son goes off into a far country and wastes everything he's been given. He is a rebel. He's rebelling against his father. He's turning his back on his home and he's going into this far country. And as you read the story, he comes to the lowest of the lowest of the low. We don't get the sense of shock and awe that the listeners would have got when Jesus told the story of a good Jewish boy feeding pigs. It's the lowest of the low that you can get. He has gone to the very depths in the framing of this story. He's showing this son not only rebelling against his father, not only wishing his father dead, but going to the very depths. But the turning point comes when it says he comes to his senses. He comes to his senses. And he realizes back home that is far more than he could ever have here. Even if he goes back and asks to become a hired servant to earn or to, yes, to earn back what he's lost and what he's taken from his father. So he comes to his senses. He returns to his father, having reasoned in his own mind that he needs to go back. And so he returns, he repents and comes back to his father. And when he's a long way off, his father sees him. You know the story. His father runs. I love this. They tell me in eastern countries, if this had literally happened, the son would have had to run the gauntlet. The whole village would have turned out to jeer, to throw insults, to maybe even stone. I don't know, but they would have formed this, this kind of gauntlet and the son would have had to come through the gauntlet to get to his father. And yet the picture Jesus is painting is that the father runs the gauntlet to get the son. And that's what God did for us. He ran the gauntlet to get you and me. In the whole work of the cross, the death, the resurrection, I have a God who so loves me, He didn't want me to go through that pain. He didn't want me to go through the sin and the suffering and the penalty of that, and He ran the gauntlet. That's my God. He is a good God. And then the Son comes, and the Father embraces Him. I thank God as a teenager, the night that I realized I was rebelling against God. I was doing my own thing. I was just going my own way. And the night that I came to my senses and realized I needed to give my life to God. I no longer wanted to be in the far country, living like a rebel. I wanted to come home and feel the embrace of grace. To feel the arms of God's love around me. To feel what every human being wants to feel. Every human being wants to be accepted appreciated and approved. That is a known fact. They'll talk about that in in human terms. And as the son comes back, he feels accepted. He feels approved. He feels appreciated. And what the father is saying to him, stop thinking that you're a hired servant. You're an honored son. 
Stop thinking like you're thinking. That is old thinking. Let me renew your mind. Let me throw off, as it were, all this there. And he clothes him with the cloak and all the stuff that goes on. What is he trying to do? He's seeking to say, you are a son of mine. There's no changing that fact. And so he receives the love and he comes home. Do you know when you think of home? I love home. I like being home. I like traveling. But there's something great when you get home. You know, it's, you can relax at home. It's, it's a place, and most of us, I'm sure, we are privileged to have a home. A lot of people don't have homes. But we have homes. It's where generally family are. Yeah, where siblings are, where parents are. It's where, and you have fun. Well, we do in our home. We have fun in home. And you're free to be you. It's just, you know, the secret or to know the real you is who you are when you're on your own. And often you're just relaxed at home and you're just there. It's great to have a home. Um, Tina and I are here. This to us is home. We've come home. This is family. And when we think of Jubilee, we think of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's fun. <laughs> I don't know whether you travel around churches, but not all churches are fun. <laughs> Take it from me. They're not. Um, people go in looking miserable, and sadly they come out looking miserable. It's not fun. But he is fun. And the best of all, it's not only family, you're free to be yourself in Christ. That is a terrific, a terrific environment. And so the, the younger son comes home. Then you move on in the story and you get the, the story about the older son. I have to admit, in the season of sabbatical, God slapped me around the face time and time again. Well, you know, lovingly. He embraced me. He taught me truth and told me time and time again, the trouble with you is you're too much of the elder brother. There's too much of the elder brother in you that's got to come out. And that's a working process. When you find the elder brother and you read the story, he's not under the heading of rebel. He comes under the area of religious. This is where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the scribes. He's saying, you're not rebellious. You do all that stuff. But you're like the elder brother. You serve under obligation. You serve under obligation. You do it because you believe you're obligated to it. You're angry. You read it in these verses. The older son was angry. He was resentful. He was judgmental. And he refused to enter into the celebration of the younger son. And the father was saying, you're not like your younger brother. You don't need to stop thinking that you're a hired servant. You need to stop acting. You need to stop acting like a hired servant. You need to come home. And I love that bit where he said to his I am with you always. When Jesus sent his disciples out with the great commission, he said, I will be with you, with you always. And he says, all authority is given unto you. That's where he said, all I have is yours. And that's where we are today. We have the authority of the risen, glorified son of God invested in us. And like the older son, 
we have to be careful and watch that, Lord, we're not doing anything out of a religiosity, but that we are living our life under the understanding of what it means to be home. When I talk about home, I, talk, I talked about the natural, but I'm also talking about spiritual, having a spiritual home. But it is also, home is where the heart is. I'm not talking about a hotel that we visit every Sunday morning. I'm talking about a, a, a position. I'm talking about a place uh, that we are in Christ, that we are sons and daughters of the living God. That's a position. That's a place. That's being home in the knowledge. And when the younger son came, I love it that what he did is he brings a cloak. He brings a coat. Some people think it was a bridal coat. Some people think it was a sonship coat. But he clothes him with this coat. And he's saying to him, I want you to know your identity. Who you are. You're not some hired servant. You're my son. You're not some one who's going to work their way to an inheritance that has been lost. You are my son and all that I have, all that I am is yours. All that I am is yours. I want you to know your authority. I want you to know your identity. And the ring that was placed on the finger, that really is saying not only authority, not only identity, but authority. Authority. Read the whole thing of Joseph and the story and the ring that was given to him to show him as he, after the king, was though the person in the land that had the authority to exercise the king's wishes. And is this what I'm trying to get over here this morning? We're walking this world as human beings, but we are far more than human beings. We are sons and daughters of the living God. We have a legal right to be here. I grew up with a theology that was really all about the, ne- the re- return of Jesus Christ because we were in a hole and we wanted Jesus to get us out of it. And the only way to get out of it was Jesus to return. My theology is that Jesus is coming for a glorious church without spot and without wrinkle. I believe in the end times the sons and daughters of the living God will rise up and realize that our identity is in Christ. Our authority is in the risen, glorified Christ. I have identity, I have authority, but the shoes of destiny. As I step forward into whatever God calls me to do, that I'm asking, Lord, let me walk in the destiny of what you have called me to be. Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. You and I have a legal right to be where we are. Let me try and bring this to where I... I want to kind of bring this into land. What God has been talking to me of in recent weeks is this whole thing about the field and the home. Every one of us works in a field. Um, the scripture says in John four thirty-five, Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes, see that the fields are white unto harvest. The fields are white unto harvest. Then if you go over into Matthew 13, 38, it says the field is the world. The field is the world. When you go to your place of work tomorrow, that's your field. When you go into your school, when you go into your, to the school gate, when you go into your college, your university, wherever we are, that I believe is our field. 
Paul says it's a sphere of influence. It's a given sphere. It's a given field. What is, um, let me read this from Corinthians. Let's go to the next scripture. Corinthians says, we will not boast beyond our limits. Instead, we will stay within the field that God has assigned to us. So if you believe you're walking in the will of God, wherever you go geographically in your work or in, in whatever you're involved in, that is a sphere of influence. It's where we as kingdom beings go to influence the kingdoms of this world with the kingdom of God. So it's a sphere of influence. But I want us to understand that is danger in the field. If you read carefully Genesis, um, particularly the, the, where, the place where Adam and Eve fell in Genesis, um, I think we've got this scripture, Genesis 3 verse 1. It talks about uh, the Adam and Eve spoke to the beast of the field. Now you don't, you can't read this in the text, but some people believe that Adam and Eve went out the garden into the field and met the beast of the field, and that's where the problems fell. Now you can't prove that, it's not fact, it's not something, but some theologians actually think the beast of the field, they went outside their sphere of influence. What I'm saying is, I must not step out my sphere of influence. Lord, if this is where you have called me to be, help me to live that life where I I understand who I am. I recognize what God has called me to be. I grew up being told, be very careful about the world. Be very careful. I believe I'm here to affect the world, not the world infect me. I'm here to affect society. Not society to infect me. And as we go out into the world tomorrow, today, we put on the whole armor of the Lord to be a protection. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, and and the whole list in Ephesians 6. The elder brother had been so long in the field, he started behaving like a hired servant. He had this resentment. He had this anger. He had this kind of, this, this doing things under obligation. Because he'd become like those he was working with. And I, I just feel God, I want to live like an honored son, not a hired servant. I want to live like a son and as a daughter of the king of kings. To realize that there is a danger in the field, there is a disillusionment, there is a a possible uh, way in which we can be drawn away from the living, uh, the way God would have us to live. There's a couple of photographs on there. Would you put the first photograph up? When I left Rolls-Royce, this was the headline of the the factory, Rolls-Royce News. Farewell gift from, from colleagues, Carpenter Chris chooses... Chooses the church. It goes on to then to explain how I was going off to Bible college. Show the next, next uh, film. This is um, a picture. We did have color in them days. Uh, it's very early in its development, but uh, I don't didn't hear that, and I don't want to hear it either. These are the students that were in Bible college with me. 
And I look at that photograph today and my heart is filled with kind of, well, the sadness and there's joy. All of them went out to serve God in the field. Paul says to the church at Corinth, you are God's field. Even the church is a field. Most of those people went out, but a high percentage are no longer walking with God. Why? Because they became disillusioned with church. And you can't become disillusioned unless you're first illusioned. You can have an illusion about the church. It's not perfect. It's not perfect. It's got people in it, for goodness sake. You know, it's going to get messy. Families are not perfect. You know, I love being home, but sometimes there are challenges. In the, well, they are in my home, I don't know about yours, but sometimes there are challenges. It's the same in church. So when you go into the field, when you're into the field of the church or when you're into the field of society, our spheres of influence, it is that we are to be in two places at once. And this is where I want to end. I believe we're called to live in two places at once. I believe we're supposed to be in home and in the field at the same time. Say, what on earth are you talking about? Well, when Paul wrote to the Colossians, he said, you are in Colossae, but you are also in Christ. He opened his letter like that. You are in Colossae, but you are in Christ. And it's, it's, it's having a dual citizenship. The Bible says our citizenship is in heaven. In heaven. The, let's go back to that last scripture you put up there. I grew up with this being shouted at me time and time again. Especially as teenagers. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. That's probably about the emphasis it was given as well. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. What he was basically saying was, keep yourself pure. Now there is that truth in there, keep yourself pure. You're in the world, but not of the world. But I like, I can't remember his name now, but one uh, theologian says, the emphasis should be on not of this world. You're not of this world. You are born again. You're a son and daughter of the living God. You're not of this world. Yes, you're in the world, but the basis of being in the world is, uh, is that you're not of it. You're of another kingdom. You're of another place. Your citizenship is in heaven. And therefore, you need to walk in the reality of that. I am not a doormat that the enemy can just wipe his mucky feet on and say, well, ah, you're useless, you're hopeless. Ah, you made a mess. You'll make another mess. Ah, 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 you know, and down, down, down. I am a son of the king. I am a servant of the most high God. I am a soldier in the army of the Lord. I am an overcomer. And as Tina often says, I am someone who... I am a winner who sometimes loses, not a loser who sometimes wins. It's a whole different ballgame. And I believe in these days that we're living in, the church of Jesus Christ is rising up to know its, its identity. And saying, I am a servant of the Most High God. I have a legal right to be here. The illegal squatter is Satan. I'm here to see Satan kicked out of this region, out of this life, out of this business. I want God to rule and reign. And it's having that knowledge of who we are in Christ. 
It's living in the reality that we're in the world, yeah, but I'm not of this world. And so it's downloading that constant knowledge of who I am. And that's what I mean by being home. It's living in the understanding of who I am in Christ. I think what the old, what the father would have said to the older son is what God would say to us this morning. We need to start enjoying, or should I say, entering in to our identity. Let's go on to that last slide. We need to enter in to our identity. This may sound silly to you, but sometimes we need to almost stand in front of the mirror and say, do you know God loves you? God really loves you. And it takes a time sometimes to get into here, if you're anything like me, a little little thick-headed, you know, to get down into here, to get the truth residing in here. And sometimes the enemy will try and rob you of those seeds of truth. But to enter into the reality of who I am in Christ, to exercise the authority of what I have in God, all authority is given unto you. And start enjoying our destiny of where we're going what we have to do, where God is calling us. He says, all I have is yours. I I woke up about three o'clock this morning. It's not unusual for me. And God says, take your overalls. So I got these out of the car. Tina says, you're not doing some work today, are you? I said, no, 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 no. I brought my overalls. Now, these overalls, there's marks on them, pits of paint and everywhere. It tells you what I've been doing and where I've been going and what, you know, and tells the story. And this may sound a little silly to you, but I felt God say, tell, tell the people it's time to stop wearing overalls and being marked by the environment in which we live and start putting on the coat, the coat of sonship. This world is not here to infect us, we are here to affect it. And as I walk through the world, I can put on the garment of, uh, well, the garment of praise, but I can put on this sonship coat and say, Lord, the far country, that's, my, that's where I've come from. I'm no longer living under that rebellion. Lord, I want to live under this relationship. You are my daddy God. I'm late to this party, but the whole fatherhood of God is such an incredible revelation the church has received in recent years. Lord, I want to live there, but I don't just want to come into this on Sunday mornings and say it's like a hotel. No, I want to live in this when I go out into the field. When I get up tomorrow and face maybe an awkward boss. I don't know, maybe you don't have awkward bosses, but you work with people who are a little bit difficult. And that's just the Christians. No, I know what I mean. Um, but you walk with people who are just a little bit awkward. And you think, God, how do, I, how do I live in this? You say, remind yourself, you're a son. You're a daughter of the Most High God. That you have authority. Exercise the authority. Now, I want to pray in closing this morning. I want to pray for mentalities. I want to pray for God to renew our thinking. I don't want any longer for us to be sold the lie that we're nobody. You are a somebody. Somebody so worth, so much worth within you that God paid the ultimate price to get you because he loves us. He loves us. And I want, I want the church of Jesus Christ to walk with his head held high. 
This is who I am. Not wrong. No, it's not being proud. It's just saying, I'm a son of the living God. I don't think Prince Charles got up this morning, looked in the mirror and said, you're Prince Charles. You're Prince Charles. You're Prince Charles. He knows it. He's grown up in an environment that told him one day you're going to be king. He knows it without a shadow of a doubt. The, the identity of who he is, he knows his authority. He knows his destiny. I think, Lord, that's how I want to live. Every day of my life, I want to live like that. don't want to get infected by the world I'm in, but I want to be a person who affects that environment by the power of Jesus Christ. Stand with me. I'm going to pray. As I'm praying, you know where you're at. You know what's going on in your environment, your home environment, your school, college, university, workplace, school gate, your sphere of influence. And I want to pray that God would download on us a fresh revelation of who we are. Who we are, we are more than conquerors through him that loves us. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can run through a troop, leap over a wall. With the supernatural empowering of the Spirit of God, we can live as the Father wants us to live. Father, I thank you for every sphere that is represented here. People meet and mingle with those that have no knowledge of you, have no interest in the things of you. I pray, Lord, we'll walk rightly within the world we live. That we will not listen to the lies of the enemy, but we'll take on board the truth of who we are in Jesus Christ. That whatever our Colossi is, we will be in Christ in Colossi. That we will be living in the knowledge that our Father has accepted us. He's approved of us. He appreciates us. And even when we get it wrong, you don't love us any less. Lord, renew our thinking. Renew our mind. Take off the old stuff and put in the new. Lord, we will live as you would call us to live. In Jesus' name, we ask it. Amen.